Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Anytime you're in the Huntsville area, we hope you'll stop in and be part of our worship. Sunday morning worship is at 9 o'clock, with Bible class immediately following. Sunday evening worship is at 5. Midweek Bible study is held Wednesdays at 7. It is time to begin. This is Wednesday night, December the 14th, 2022. I, I, say the t- I say the date at the beginning of each class because when I was downloading the Hebrews class, it helped to know wh- what the date was so I could get them in their correct order. So I'm, I'm doing that with, with this class as well. I had a gentleman ask me a question Sunday, and I was going to cover it tonight, but I don't see him here. Are you here? I don't. I don't see him. Well, we'll skip that part, and I'll get. I'll get with him later about that. So we'll skip these first couple of slides. The website is active. There are slides out there that you can download. If you do not have PowerPoint, you can download a zipped image of JPEGs. I converted the PowerPoint to JPEGs as well, so you can have PowerPoint or JPEGs or both, whichever you like. I want to cover a couple of slides I didn't get to last week because we're so rushed for time. There are some some classes and sermons I would like for you to go back and listen to in the next few days, if possible. Uh, Glenn Colley recently uh, spoke about the altar at Dan. We're going to be referencing the altar at Dan when we get to chapter 7. Also in Hebrews, James talked about the last days. That was a 4 September 2022. I'm not positive about Carrie's class. I think it was the core class back in March where he talked about the Cohens and who they were. They, uh, they worked with the, the tabernacle. We're going to make a direct reference to them in a few weeks on a revelation characteristic. And instead of having to go back and explaining who they are, I'm just going to make a reference. So be sure and go back and listen to that class. Also, Kerry Waddell's Forgotten Characters, Satan. He has some general principles that he covered in that class. It would be nice if you could go back and, and listen to that class again. I'm going to be making references to that sometime during the uh, spring quarter. Two classes that are absolutely critical. We're going to be using these in two weeks. It's two classes that Mark Bailey taught, um, Fortifying Our Faith, the Translations and Punctuations, dated 30 March, and Fortifying Our Faith, Part 2. I did not see the audio for that, but it is on the live stream page. Those two are very important. I'm going to make a reference to them, but I'm not going to go back and try to explain everything that Mark explained. Okay. Have some memory verses for you. We are going to be referencing 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. You know it very well. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanses us from all sins. When I reference this verse, I'm just going to say what's in red, just just to, to abbreviate it. Second memory verse is going to be the entire story of the rich man and Lazarus. 
We are going to be referencing this, this story, I don't know, two or three times. I'm going to reference it in a way that you may have never heard it referenced before. So, so be very familiar with that story because I'm going to be looking at just minor details all through that story from time to time. Okay, we talked about revelation characteristics. We're going to be talking about characteristics of revelation, but we're going to be using some items that seem to have nothing to do with the book of Revelation. Here is a perfect example of that. Here's a homework assignment for you. If you like NCAA football, you're going to love this. What I need you to do is to go look at the NCAA Division I Power 5 football teams and find out what their home stadium nicknames are. And if they don't have a home stadium nickname, I need you to find the nickname of their cities. These are the nicknames that the ESPN announcers use when they say one team is going to go play at another team's home stadium. For example, if Auburn is going to Alabama, they don't say the University of Auburn football team is going to go play the University of Alabama football team at the University of Alabama. They don't say that. They say the boys from the Plains are headed up to T-Town for an SEC matchup. That's, that's what they say. Uh, the nickname for Tennessee is what? Huh? It's a... Speak loud. I'm deaf. Rocky Top. If Alabama's going to play Tennessee, which is a disaster this year, they say that the boys from T-Town are headed to Rocky Top. So go through and, and get those nicknames. We're going to have a, a, a pop quiz on it towards the end of this Revelation series. It's going to be open book, open neighbor, open internet, open everything. But that's going to be one of our Revelation characteristics as well. I want to show you an, an actual example of a Revelation characteristic. This is in the form of a Revelation top ten. I cannot take credit for this. This is my, my uh, college professor came up with these. These belong to him. This Revelation top 10 is the top 10 contrast between the book of Revelation and the book of Genesis. There's 10 of them in no particular order. First of all, in the book of Genesis, God created the sun and the moon. But in Revelation, the sun is not needed because the glory of God lights heaven. In Genesis, sin entered the world. But in Revelation, sin is banished to the lake of fire. In Genesis, we ran from God. In Revelation, we boldly approach God through the, through the Lamb. In Genesis, sin's curse infected us. In Revelation, sin's curse is removed. In Genesis, sorrow and tears appeared. In Revelation, God wipes away all tears. In Genesis, earth became painful and temporal. In Revelation, we have no pain and it's eternal. In Genesis, fear defeated us. In Revelation, fear is defeated through the blood of the Lamb. In Genesis, we were destined to die. In Revelation, we are destined to live. In Genesis, death defeats us. In Revelation, death and Hades are both defeated. They are both thrown into the lake of fire. And last, in Genesis, we hid our face from God. In the book of Revelation, we anticipate seeing God face to face for eternity. Okay, so that, that, that's an idea of a revelation characteristic. Now, let's get to a food fight, shall we? There is a food fight 
occurring in the religious world, and it's in the churches of Christ as well. Not prevalent, but it's there. The question is, when was the book of Revelation written? Well, there's, there's your options. Those are the main options that are being argued all throughout the internet and all throughout the forums. Tonight I want to concentrate on the two most popular dates, that's 68 AD and 95 AD. If you'll download your slides from the internet for this class, you will have, I think, eight affirmative and rebuttals for and against the the date 95 AD, and you'll have 13 for and against the uh, date of, of 68 AD. I'm just going to show you an example of each just to give you an idea of what they look like. 95 AD. The affirmative for 95 AD comes from an early church leader called Irenaeus. In his book Against Heresies, book 5, chapter 30, verse 3, he says, We will not, however, incur the risk of pronouncing positively as to the name of the Antichrist. He's talking about the person represented by the number 666 in Revelation chapter 13. For if it were necessary that his name should be distinctly revealed in this present time, it would have been announced by him who beheld the apocalyptic vision. For it was seen not very long since, but almost in our day, towards the end of Domitian Caesar's reign. So clearly by... Irenaeus' own statement, the vision itself was seen somewhere between 95 and 96 A.D. toward the end of Domitian Caesar's reign. So clearly 95 A.D. is the date. The rebuttal is, is, is somewhat interesting. This quote is vague at best. The phrase that is interpreted, it was seen... This is the Greek word for it in the Greek transliteration. It is a third-person singular verb that can mean he or she or it. 95 ADers are going to habitually translate that it. So the question remains, was the vision seen towards the end of Domitian's reign or was John seen toward the end of Domitian's reign? For this particular third-person singular verb, the word he actually makes more sense. The word he is actually supported by Eusebius, who said that John was actually seen in his Asian ministries after he got off of Patmos. Also, Revelation chapter 17 says, I'm sorry, Revelation chapter 10 verse 11 says that John actually is going to minister to the churches in Asia once he gets off of the island of Patmos. He is using the word he, the pronoun he, that is supported by historians as well as the book of Revelation. It is not. So that, 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 that's a pro and con. That, that's, that's the way it goes back and forth. Now, not all these arguments are as logical as this. Some of them actually make no sense whatsoever, but they're the arguments being made, and those are available for you for the, in the download. Now, 68 AD, an affirmative for 68 AD, and a rebuttal. Hello. There we go. Okay, affirmative. Irenaeus lived in Rome. 
He's commenting on events that occurred in Ephesus, where John lived, by the way, 832 miles away. Irenaeus also claimed, and this is true, by the way, Irenaeus also claimed that Jesus lived to be between 45 and 50 years old. So how can we expect Irenaeus to be accurate about events that happened 60 years prior to his birth at a distance of 832 miles away, such as when was John on Patmos? Was John really seen after Patmos? And when was the vision actually seen and written? How can his historic timeline and perspective be trusted if he can't even get Jesus' age right? Therefore, Irenaeus is totally unreliable. 95 AD is not a candidate date for the Revelation writing. Now, the rebuttal is rather interesting. I, I actually did not know this until I studied this several months ago. Well, we know that distance doesn't, doesn't determine the accuracy of a historical text. Here's the part that was interesting. The error in Jesus' age is based upon Augustus Caesar's timeline. When did Augustus come into power? There are two answers for this. One is 43 B.C. when he was named principal heir of Julius Caesar. He became a member of the Senate and was appointed praetor. Is that how you pronounce that? That's a high-ranking judicial judge with broad powers, including military power. He shared that military power and he used it to kill off all his rivals so that in 27 B.C. he was actually named the one emperor of Rome by the Senate. Most people consider Augustus Caesar coming into power in 27 B.C. Irenaeus chose 43 that's a difference of 15 years. So Irenaeus' math is not wrong. He just says that Augustus came into power 43 B.C. and not 27 B.C. And besides, an error in Jesus' age doesn't impact the revelation date anyway. But I thought that was, that, that, that was an interesting, interesting historical revelation, if I can use that term. So we have eight arguments for and against 95 AD. We have like 13 in the download for for and against 68 AD. So download those and take a look at those. What are just the facts? Okay. We got several people arguing about this. What are just the facts? Just the facts is simply this. When you push a date, that usually means you're pushing an agenda. The, the hardcore 68 ADers are pushing for the tribulation to be the destruction of Jerusalem. The hardcore 95 ADers are pushing for the tribulation to be the persecution. Both sides are, pre, are presupposing what the tribulation is before they even say their date. Interestingly enough, neither side can actually prove their, their case. You can't prove 68 AD. You cannot prove 95 AD. It's also interesting to note that historians are unable to prove actually when John was on Patmos. There is no official archaeological documents. There are no official Roman documents and archives that they've been able to to get a hold of. So what's the food fight about? It's about pushing an agenda. Conclusions. It only makes sense 
that Irenaeus was talking about John being seen at the end of Domitian Caesar's reign. Saying it makes no sense. You're changing the topic in the middle of the paragraph if you use the word it instead of he. An interesting note is with the Roman Caesars, when a new Caesar comes into power, he has a tradition that he releases the previous Caesar's political prisoners. So that that would fit perfectly in history for John to be released after, after Domitian left power. Historians cannot prove when, how often, and, or the dates that John was on Patmos. Jerome said definitely it was Domitian who forced John to Patmos. So it looks like neither 68 AD nor 95 AD are legitimate possibilities for the dates of, of the book of Revelation to be written. We have two interesting facts that we're going to have to we're going to have to figure this out. We're going to have to figure out how to marry, marry these two together. First of all, Revelation was read before Domitian was Caesar. Revelation chapter 17 tells us the setting of the book of Revelation. We'll talk about that when we get to chapter 17. It was before, the, the setting of the book of Revelation was before Domitian took power. However, history indicates that Domitian is the one who put John on Patmos. So how could you have the book of Revelation read before Domitian was Caesar and have Domitian be the one who put John on Patmos in the first place? The answer is, well, the question is, can it be? Can you put, can Domitian put John on Patmos and the book of Revelation be written and read before Domitian ever came to power? Is it possible for both of those to be true? And the answer actually is yes, and there's a clue. Does anyone see the clue? How about that? Domitian did not come to power as Caesar until 81 AD. He actually killed his older brother, apparently. His older brother died mysteriously of poisoning. It turns out that Titus did not give Domitian a place in his administration, and Domitian was not happy about that. However, both Titus and Domitian both had some authority in their father's administration between 69 AD and 79 AD. Titus, uh, I believe James Andrews mentioned Titus. General Titus, he's the one that was sent to Jerusalem to destroy Jerusalem. Domitian did not go as high as the rank of general, I don't believe, but he did have some military power. However... The earliest Domitian could have put John on the Isle of Patmos would have been 69 AD at the beginning of his father's administration. Caesar worship, emperor worship was already in full swing. So Domitian could have easily gone around and said, okay, you know, bow the knee. And if you don't, we're, we're going we're gonna to kill you or we're going to exile you. Is that actually what happened? Nobody knows. We don't have the historical documents we need to actually prove one way or the other. But this is a way for both of those statements to be true. 
Okay, we already, we already said what the origins of 95 AD are. Let's look at the origins of, of 68 AD. Where did that date come from? This isn't absolutely the answer, but it is an interesting, interesting situation. Here is a timeline going from 54 AD to 68 AD. The 68 ADers, the hardcore 68 ADers, had two thorns in the flesh. One was the death of Nero. The second one, believe it or not, was the book of 2 Peter. It is unknown really when 1 Peter was written. Historians are not sure if it was right before Peter went to Rome or right after Peter got there. They're thinking in the 64 AD range. Same with 2 Peter. It obviously has to come after 1 Peter, but they're not exactly sure it's 65, 66, 67 AD. Eric Lyons, when he was here uh, on his weekend seminar about is the Bible reliable, he actually mentioned the date of of 2 Peter, mentioning that it was written sometime after the mid-60s. And this chart agrees with that. We don't know for sure when Peter died, but historians are saying by the time 67 AD ended, Peter was dead. So you can't get Revelation written before 2 Peter was written because 2 Peter predicts what's going to happen in Revelation. Can't get the cart before the horse. So the the people who say 68 AD, they say that so they can clear Peter's death. But now you've got, you have Nero dying in June the 9th, 60 AD. You've got to clear Peter's death, but you've got to come before Nero. You can't have a book that is, has the villain of the book being Nero, as the 68 ADers say, and have the book written after and read after the villain dies. What's the point of that? So they're going to have to clear Peter's death and they're going to have to come before Nero's death. And the only time that fits that is going to be like January, February, around March until what? March, April, and May. Because during this time, Nero is actually touring Greece. So there's just a very small sliver of time that the 68 AD can say 68 AD and satisfy all the criteria. So, what are the conclusions of this? Nobody knows when Revelation was written. It's, it, it is a food fight. No one can prove it. Do you think if someone could, could definitely prove the date Revelation was written, that there would actually be 10 or 11 dates being argued? No, there would just be one. Ordinarily, for the most part, these dates are used to push an agenda, a definition of the tribulation. Instead of pushing an agenda, what we're going to do is we're going to align Revelation not only with what it says internally, but also with its setting in history. We're not going to worry about agenda. In fact, we're going to let Revelation define Revelation That may be a surprise to some people, I don't know. But Revelation actually tells you what the tribulation is. The problem is you've got to get into the forbidden zone to find it out. Next week we are going to... We may start it tonight, we're kind of early. 
Next week, we're going to talk about what the tribulation actually is in the book of Revelation. We're going to go to verses and we're going to let the verses say it. We're not going to put any interpretation on it. We're just going to let it say it. Let Revelation define the tribulation. Boy, I ran out out of time last time and now I'm early. Okay, so let's talk about premillennialism. I could talk all day about this. This is an interesting topic. It's all a lie, but it's still an interesting topic. There are a lot of premillennialists. I tell you what, before we start this, are there any comments? We've got plenty of time to, to discuss things. Any comment on the things that we just flew through? Let me get back. Yeah. Okay, I don't have my Caesars up. After, let's go back to, let's go back to, well, there we go. After Domitian Caesar came a guy named Nerva. He reigned for a couple or three years, and then after him was a guy named Trajan. Nerva in 96 or 97 A.D., it was tradition for the next Caesar to free the previous Caesar's uh, political enemies from prison. Historians are saying it was probably Nerva that freed John. So John had the rest of 96 AD, 97, 98, 99, and part of 100 to finish his ministry. Um, I've I've read... Articles that said John died as early as 100 A.D. I've heard some say that he lived as long as 110 A.D. So I don't think any historians are really sure what that date is. He lived at least until 100 A.D. So that would give him four years to actually to actually accomplish the uh, the ministry around his second ministry around the churches of Asia. Does that answer your question? Okay. Chapter, Revelation chapter 10, verse 11, actually mentions that John was going to have to preach again to all the people when he got off the island of Patmos. Okay. Any other questions? Okay. This is deep. This is very deep. You can ask... A thousand premillennialists, what the premillennialistic doctrine of the afterlife is, and you will get a thousand different answers, literally. I have spent hundreds of hours reading 40, 50, 60 online pro-premillennialist websites, and even they can't seem to agree with each other. You will find a lot of charts online that are nigh unreadable. This is the only chart I found that I even like. It, it, it's, it's general enough that you can talk about details, but it's specific enough so you can get an idea of what premillennialism is teaching as far as the afterlife goes. Now, there are two branches of premillennialism. Apologetic Express concentrates on the prediction of the end of the world. That seems to be, be their genre. That doesn't interest me at all. What I'm interested in is the, 
is their doctrine of the afterlife because that's, that's where the danger is. Let's see. Um, I learned how to do this a while ago. I know just enough to be dangerous. I'll have to mark up here so you can see, see some items. Okay. According to the premillennialist, if you live a good enough life, you can count on being raptured. Is that showing sure up? That shows up good. If you do not live a good enough life, if you are a scoundrel, you are a bad person, then when you die, you are going to go to what this guy calls Hades. Hades is basically torment that's described in the book, I mean, in the story of the rich man and Lazarus. If you walk in the light as he is in the light, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sins, right? Apparently not. Apparently not. Here comes premillennialism saying, if you're not good enough to be, if you do not live a good enough life to be raptured, but you do not live bad enough to be to go to Hades, then God is going to wring his hands and wonder what in the world to do with you. So what he came up with was something called the tribulation period. If you go to the tribulation, you are going to be punished a little bit because you were not as good a, good, as good a little boy or little girl as you could have been. But the main thing that happens in the tribulation is God is going to meet you there personally, in person. Did you hear me? In person. And He's going to scrub you clean personally and get you ready to go into, into the 20, into the 20, into the thousand year reign and after that go into heaven. Now there's some arguing and disagreement among the, the premillennialists how long you're going to stay in that tribulation period. Now the prediction of the end of the world says that the church is going to go through a tribulation period and that's going to be an indicator that the end of time is near. For the afterlife doctrine, they use the same word and change its meaning. You're going to go in there and you're going to let God scrub you clean of whatever sins you went into eternity with so that you can get ready to go to heaven. How long are you going to be there? Some premillennialists say, well, three and a half years is a common amount of time that's mentioned in the Revelation several times. So you're going to you've been there for three and a half years. God's going to get you God's going to get you clean. You're going to get punished a little bit. God's going to get you clean. After three and a half years, you're headed to the thousand year reign. Others say, no, you're going to be in there three and a half years, and that's all the time God has to get you clean. If you are not clean, he's going to kick you down to Hades. Others say, no, it's seven years instead of three and a half years. Some people say you're going to be in there as long as it takes for God to get you clean, which means all these people who were raptured and have gone through the judgment scene, the marriage of the Lamb getting ready to come down, that means they're going to be waiting on you before they can start the thousand-year reign. And that could be eons of time, according to some premillennialists. Okay, where do we want to go now? Let's go to the thousand-year reign. And let me mention something that's going to rub some people the wrong way. The thousand-year reign is Jesus coming back to earth and establishing an earthly, earthly kingdom. Why does he have to do that? 
Well, it's because the crucifixion was a mistake. It was an error on Jesus' part and a miscalculation on God's part, according to premillennialists. It was a miscalculation on God's part because he didn't know the Jewish people were going to react that way. It was an error on Jesus' part because he let himself get captured, let, him get, let himself get arrested, and then let himself get crucified. The thousand-year reign is going to fix that. Jesus is going to come down. He's going to establish an earthly kingdom. And this time it's going to be with the church. It's not going to be with the Jews because clearly the Jews cannot be trusted. It's going to be with the Christians. And then after that is done, then the Christians are all going to go to the new heaven and the new earth. Some premillennialists are saying, well, it's not going to be a full thousand years for every Christian. There is a little known doctrine that's actually mentioned in one of our songs. We will cover that at another date. A little known doctrine called the restoration of years. How many of you have heard that? The restoration of years. I have not heard about it either. This, this is interesting. This is strange. According to premillennialists, after you finish reigning for 100 years, 200 years, whatever the amount's going to be, God is going to let you relive your life the number of years that you spent not serving Jesus. So let's say I spent from the year 0 to 25 not a Christian, not serving Jesus. I am going to be allowed through this restoration of years doc- doctrine, I'm going to get to relive those years again. There is a disagreement between the premillennialists. Am I going to live it as an adult? Am I going to live it as a child growing up again? And what about all the people who were around me? Are they going to be dragged into my little scenario too? And once my scenario is done, am I going to get dragged into someone else's scenario? They don't know. They don't know. We have a very popular song that we sing. I think it's actually Maysville's national anthem, I think. It actually references this particular doctrine, believe it or not. The restoration of years. I don't have this chart ready. I should have put this up, put this on, on here. You see, the, you see the path? You see the path that these rapture folks take? And then they come down like this. You see the, uh, the order in which the tribulation folks go? And then you see the order of this? That's not the order that these events occur in Revelation. The premillennialists have the order wrong. I wish I had that chart to show it. Well, hopefully we'll, I'll, I'll remember to do that next week and I can show you. This is the wrong order. That's not the order that these events occur in Revelation. Ah, uh, there was one more topic. What was it I was wanting to talk about? <laughs> you want to hear it? Well, I'm not prepared to prove it. The song is, Bring Christ Your Broken Life. Think about the words through it. The writer of that song is a Methodist preacher, and we're going to get into that next week as well. Methodists are the second, are the number two on the chart as far as premillennialism goes. No one does premillennialism like the Methodists, except for one other group. Yes, yeah, where in the Bible does it say that my empty, wasted years are going to be restored to me? They're not there. Even, even poetically, that's a stretch. That's quite a stretch. You, um, 
That's, that's why that lady at Maysville was so mad at me. Because I, I skewered one of her sacred cows and that may have been it. Your empty wasted years he will restore. Show me in the Bible where my empty wasted years are going to be restored. By the way, I'm not brave enough to actually talk about this topic except in maybe in an advanced class. But we actually sort of use the word restore incorrectly. But your empty wasted years you will, he will restore. Even poetically, that's a stretch. You're shaking your head no. Go ahead. What? Yeah. The writer of that song is a Methodist preacher. He was a Methodist preacher for a while. And now he is the, the, the editor of the leading Methodist, uh, what do you call it? Pamphlet? What's the word I'm trying to think of? Yeah, thanks. Leading periodical among the Methodist religion. Huge premillennialist. What made one of the things that made that lady at Maysville so mad at me was I, I said, I said, poetic license gives us the, the right to say that Jesus is the rose of Sharon. It does not give us the right to make a factually inaccurate statement in our songs. I mentioned last week that we're going to be doing segments from time to time about you had one job to do. Some of these songwriters, they just did not read the book of Revelation before they wrote their songs. There's one song that, song that says, the Lamb is the light of heaven. No, he's not. Revelation says the glory of God is the light of heaven. Jesus reflects that light. Poetic license versus, versus factually inaccurate statements, I don't know. That, that, gets, that gets kind of tough sometimes. But there's, there's several songs that do that. There's one song. Let's go and talk about another song. Holy, Holy, Holy. That's an interesting song. It, the, the songwriter actually, actually does something interesting on that song. They say, Holy, 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 all the saints adore thee, casting down their golden crowns around the crystal sea. Technically, that's not right because in the book of Revelation, only the 24 elders are casting down their, their golden crowns. Poetically, it's perfect. When you walked in these doors tonight, you're basically saying, yes, it is necessary to, to uh, pursue material goods, money, food, but it's also important to pursue the righteousness of God. You are basically casting down your golden crown around the crystal sea. Speaking of crystal sea, did you know there is no sea in heaven called the crystal sea? Fortunately, these songwriters, all the ones I've seen so far, they just squeak by by the, by the skin of their teeth. They made the word crystal and the word sea lowercase, which is perfect. Crystal is an adjective, not a proper noun. There is no, there is no sea in heaven called the crystal sea. It is a sea that is clear as glass and clear as crystal. Okay, what else? There was... Oh, okay, yeah, 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 okay. I mentioned to you last week that I mentioned to a premillennialist one time that Armageddon, the premillennialistic Armageddon and the premillennialistic thousand-year reign contradicted each other. Do you all remember that? Armageddon is the end of the world. It happens in chapter 16. The thousand-year reign is going to happen on earth 
That's in chapter 20. How do you have an earth in chapter 20 for your thousand year reign when the earth was destroyed in chapter 16? Several decades ago, the premillennialists finally admitted that was, a, that was a problem. So they redefined that part of the thousand year reign. Now, the thousand year reign is going to occur in the new heaven and the new earth described in chapter 21. I need to go back. In chapter 21, I need it. That guy's missing an arrow going right there. Well, that's all good and well until you have this little doctrine right here where the people from Hades are going to come up and join the Christians in the thousand year reign. How can you have a thousand year reign if you have no one to reign over? So, what the premillennialists have decided was, okay, these guys from Hades, these guys who were given all the Christians all the problems all those years, are going to come up and join them in the thousand year reign so that the Christians have someone to reign over. Well, now you're contradicting chapter 21. What does chapter 21 say about evil versus the new heaven and the new earth? There is no, there's not going to be any. Evil is not going to be allowed in the new heaven and the new earth. There's a premillennialistic preacher on TV. He's getting on up in the years, so it's his wife and usually guests that are, that are covering his, his program. His name is Jack Benepe. On his program several years ago, they had a guy who had connections with the people who define premillennialism on his show. And he was basically breaking the news to the world that no longer do the premillennialists teach that the thousand year reign is going to happen in the new heaven and the new earth because they're, they're, they're contradicting chapter 21. They can't have their buddies from Hades coming up. What they have decided is that the, the thousand year reign is going to occur on that planet that NASA announced several years ago that they discovered that they think can support life. Is it 350 million light years away or 400 million light years away? That, it's that planet. That's where the thousand year reign is going to happen. Well, they're not contradicting Armageddon anymore. They're not contradicting chapter 21 anymore. Now they're contradicting chapter 20. Because chapter 20 says the thousand year reign is on earth. It's not on some distant planet. You have another problem too. According to the premillennialists, when you get up here, Get up here in this area, you get over here. I don't know about these guys down here. When you're in these, these two places right here, you're actually going to get your human body back again. That's why you have to have the thousand year reign occurring on a planet that supports nitrogen, nitrogen oxygen atmosphere. How you're going to get your body back after the earth is destroyed, I, I don't know. I guess they're going to do it before the battle of Armageddon. I, I don't know. I don't know how they're going to transport everybody 350 million light years away from here to there to have the thousand year reign. I guess it's going to be instantaneous. These premillennials, they keep, they keep expanding their doctrine and they just keep on tripping over themselves. They keep tripping over their own doctrine. That, that's just a few of the interesting details concerning the premillennialistic doctrine of the afterlife, and they claim to get this doctrine from Revelation, and we're going to find out next week what the tribulation actually is, and it has nothing to do with anything like that.
Nothing at all. Any more comments? Was that interesting? Have you had y'all have y'all ever heard that before? Yeah. What they're saying, if you're not good enough to be raptured, but you're not bad enough to go to torment, you're going to go in here and God's going to meet you face to face and He's going to scrub you clean of the rest of your sins that you went into eternity with, by the way, and get you ready. So if you're, if you're anywhere... That's what the premillennialists teach, yeah. And, and, and you know, that's interesting. You, you, you brought up a good, an interesting point because you have some premillennialistic preachers on TV uh, associated with the Trinity Broadcast Network is one of them. They actually teach this stuff. But they'll go right... Yeah. But then they'll go back and start talking about the blood of the Lamb. Jimmy Swaggart is notorious for that. How do you talk about this tribulation right here, and then you turn around and talk about the blood of the Lamb. They're mutually exclusive. You can't have them both. They contradict each other. Tell that to them. They they don't believe it. They they think as long as you live good enough, you're going to make it all right. And and God's going to personally scrub you clean. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You got it. You understand it. Yep. You you understand it better than I do. Now you can explain it to me. I think you I think you understand, yeah. Thank you, that is all. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word. If you would like to continue your study of New Testament Christianity, please send your name and address to World Bible School, West Huntsville Church of Christ, 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Or if you prefer, send your name and address by email to wbs at westhuntsville.org.